Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read at the beginning. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct, honor, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. And we pray that God would follow with his blessing this reading of this word. Let's turn now to Psalm 119. We're singing from Psalm 119 on page 409, the section beginning at, at verse 105. We'll sing that whole section down to verse 112. <clears throat> Psalm 119 at verse 105, and the tune is St. Paul. Thy word is to my feet a lamp, and to my path a light. I sworn have and will perform to keep thy judgments right. I am with sore affliction even overwhelmed, O Lord. In mercy raise and quicken me according to thy word. The freewill offerings of my mouth accept, I thee beseech, and unto me thy servant, Lord, thy judgments clearly teach. Though still my soul be in my hand, thy laws I'll not forget. I erred not from them, though for me the wicked snares did set. I of thy testimonies have above all things made choice. To be my heritage for a, for they my heart rejoice. I carefully inclined have my heart still to attend, that I thy statutes may perform always unto the end. That section from 105, thy word is to my feet a lamp. Thy word is to my feet a lamb, and to my path a light. I 
sworn Haman I will perform to keep thy judgments right. I am with sore affliction, even overwhelmed, O Lord. In mercy, grace, and quicken me according to thy word. The free will offering of my mouth, accept I thee beseech, and unto servant Lord thy judgments clearly teach though still my soul be in my hand thy loss I'll not forget I heard not from them for me the wicked snares did set I of thy testimonies have above all things made choice to be my heritage My heart rejoice. I carefully incline it have my heart still to attend that I thy statutes may perform always. To the end. Uh, the passage we read, First Peter chapter two, reading at the beginning, and tonight considering verses one to three. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The so at the beginning of that first verse is really the same as therefore in other parts of the Bible. It's the same idea, therefore. He is drawing conclusions, in other words, from what has just been said, as we saw at the end of the previous chapter, which we saw was dealing with uh, this being born again by the seed of the word of God. And we saw that that rebirth, that spiritual rebirth, was unto love. So that we are born to love, and especially the emphasis there, to love one another from a sincere or pure heart earnestly. Therefore, he's saying, now seeing this is the case, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, 
and envy and all slander. And you can see how logical that is. If we are indeed born to love, as is the case, then everything that's contrary to love has to be discarded, has to be thrown out. The language Peter is using here is uh, really the kind of thing that you do when you put off clothes in order to put on other clothes instead of what you're wearing. When he's saying put away, it's that sort of language of divesting yourself of garments, putting them off so that something something else replaces them. And what he's really saying is, here are the garments that you were once wearing, here are the garments that characterized you before you were born again, and now you've got to keep at uh, the business of putting them off, of getting rid of these sins, of actually divesting yourselves, if you're going to be indeed loving one another and everything else that's to do with being born again and that sort of lifestyle, well, that's what it's about, he's saying. So he's turning now to this side. Remember, we also saw we're born to holiness, previous part of chapter 1, as well as being born to love one another. And now he's saying, seeing that is the case, so then, put away, put off all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In other words, our um, rebirth spiritually begins that spiritual growth for us from which we come step by step, stage by stage, towards spiritual maturity. See, he's saying here, so like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up to salvation. Now, by salvation there, he means similar to what he mentioned in uh, the first chapter there at uh, verse 5, for example, that you are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, the the crowning part of your salvation at the return of Christ, that's what you're growing towards. That's where your full maturity will ultimately be reached. And until that, not only uh, do you begin to grow from your rebirth, but just as it is in the natural body, in the natural uh, growth that we have, in order to grow, you need nourishment. And the nourishment is what you have in verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up to salvation. And of course, to have the nourishment, you actually need the appetite to benefit from the nourishment that's provided. Because unless you have the appetite, you're not necessarily going to benefit or benefit very little from Uh, what's provided for you by way of nourishment. What he's saying in verse 2 there is just not just that you have this pure spiritual milk to nourish you. Uh, We'll look more closely at what that means in a minute. But you see he's saying, long for it, be hungry for it, crave it like newborn infants craving milk. Crave this spiritual nourishment, this Christian teaching, this uh, body of truth that God has given you so that by it you may grow up to salvation. So, two things uh, in our study this evening that we can use as our headings to guide us through these three verses. First of all, getting rid of the old clothes. And then secondly, getting regular nourishment in order to grow. Getting rid of the old clothes. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, Getting rid of old clothes is not sometimes all that easy. 
You have your favorite clothes. Every one of us knows something of how difficult it is even when new clothes are bought or come into our wardrobes. It's not necessarily the case that the old ones are immediately got rid of. I see some smiling faces and that's indicative of what I'm saying. And sometimes you'll find, of course, like for myself, perhaps it's a pair of slippers that I've had for years. And they're worn out and they're tatty and... Uh, somebody says to you, you know, you really need to get new slippers. I'm going to get some for Christmas for you. And along come the new slippers. And what happens? You prefer the old ones. They're comfortable. You've worn them in. They're really your shape. And it's like that with our sins as well. We're familiar with them. Uh, we're in the habit of actually performing them. And these habits die hard. These habits are not as easy to get rid of. When you're born again, that doesn't mean that all your sinful practices immediately are discarded. That all of these old clothes are immediately discarded. Yes, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. But you still have to battle with sin. You still have your struggles. And sometimes uh, the old favorite slippers, as it were, are what you begin to go back to or to want to start wearing again. Well, Peter is saying... Put away, put them off, discard them. They're old clothes. They don't fit your new person. They don't fit anymore. They belong to the old life, that attitude, that sinful attitude, the habits, the thoughts, the words, the things that really once were characteristic of us before we were born again. Now he's saying you're a new, you're a new creation. You are something that you weren't before. And the old clothes, the old lifestyle, the old practices, both in, in general terms and in specific terms. Now he's saying put them off. You can't live your life as born again without steadily putting these off, without working at this. And you see the detail he gives us is very challenging. Very challenging indeed when he mentions these various uh, garments, if you like, these spiritual garments. The first two of them are actually singular nouns, which really indicates that he's talking more there about attitude, uh, where you find malice and deceit. Put off all malice and all deceit. Uh, that's the uh, looking at it in, in more general terms as a kind of attitude that you've got to put off. And then you find three, uh, uh, the next three uh, are actually plurals, so that literally what he's saying is, put off all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisies and envies and all slanders, or evil speakings. So that as he's using the plurals there, he's really taking us into the more detailed aspects of our lifestyle that we have to put off in order to follow out the new lifestyle in Christ. And as you look at them, we're just going to look at them very briefly. Um, he says, put off all malice. The attitude of malice. And that literally means having an ill will towards other people. And that's not that easy either to define and certainly not easy to get rid of. Having an ill will towards somebody. Something that you can have without many people seeing. It's something you can have just in the attitude of your mind. Even as you're dealing with other people, um, you can have a, a semblance of or a, uh, a, an amount of ill will towards them. And he's saying, that is simply not on. You have to put it off. It's actually an enemy of the love that's mentioned earlier. If you're going to love as we must love from a sincere heart, then you have to put off all ill will. That attitude of ill will has to be actually discarded. 
as it is with deceit. Put off all malice and all deceit. It's a word that came in the Greek usage from uh, literally fishing uh, for fish with bait. It's something that you try and deceive the fish. Of course, fishing is uh, with bait is really largely a matter of deception, isn't it? You actually have the, the bait covering the hook so that hopefully uh, the fish doesn't understand that something that's going to uh, actually mean the end of its life or at least it's going to be caught. Uh, it goes for the bait. It doesn't realize there's something inside the bait that catches it. Well, he's saying there's a spiritual equivalent of that. There's deceit. There's the kind of thing where you set out to deceive people, when you take advantage of them, when you cheat, when you actually try and pull the wool over their eyes and hope that they don't see your real intentions. And he says, that's not for the Christian. That belongs to the old life. It doesn't fit with the new person at all. All of that sort of attitude, all malice and all deceit, everything that has to do with pretense, you put it off. It doesn't belong in the new life at all. And he goes on then to speak about these other three, all hypocrisies. It's very likely the deceit, isn't it? All hypocrisy is really a species of deceit. But he's saying hypocrisies, plural, all kinds of hypocrisies. And again, this word in Greek came from um, the practice in those days of putting on a stage play. And uh, during the stage play in those days, the actors would wear a mask to hide their own natural faces. And to put on a mask something representative of the character that they were trying to portray on stage. And from that you get this word hypocrisy, which means to wear a mask in a moral or spiritual way. To be something that, that, that you're not, something uh, really of a face or of a mask to hide what you really are. That's what he's saying, that doesn't belong in the Christian life. It's uh, Wearing a mask is not uh, for the new person at all. It's something that is a pretense. You're trying to pass yourself off as something you're not. Now he's saying hypocrisies. Wherever you and I have the semblance of pretense, of wearing a mask, we've got to put it off. We've got to discard it. And the same is true of envies. Envies meaning literally wanting something that someone else has or belongs to someone else or feeling jealous that somebody else has something that you don't and really you want to be as good as them or be where they are or have their status or whatever envies be content the Bible says elsewhere with what God has given you envies is harmful envies is something that really causes so much corrosion in one's own heart as well as damage to other people Put it off. It doesn't belong to the new life. And all slander. Now the word slander in this translation is somewhat a bit too precise perhaps because it really means literally all evil speakings. All kinds of evil speakings. Which means, yes, slander certainly comes into that, I'm sure, but uh, there's also all such things as lies or misrepresentation of people's views or of what, what people themselves are like or something like even um, you know the kind of thing where you make fun of people just because you want to ridicule their lifestyle or want to ridicule their thoughts or 
the way they've come to certain conclusions about things. Well, there's plenty of that in our days, and they're particularly against the Christian uh, view of life and against a Christian outlook and a Christian behavior. It's not just that people disagree with that and sometimes disagree vehemently, but uh, as we were saying this morning, those of you in the Gaelic, it's, it's really looking down on people like the Pharisees were saying, well, this people who don't know the law in John chapter 7 where Nicodemus tried to speak up for Jesus and he was put down by the Pharisees and the rulers of the time. And these people who don't know the law, these ordinary people, they're not like us. We're the ones who really know best. And that's what you find from secularism and atheism that ridicule the idea. You believe that Bible? You believe that literally? You believe what it teaches? Ha, that's really surely, that's just ridiculous. And you've got that mocking, sneering attitude. While Paul, um, Peter is saying, that's not for the Christian. Yes, you oppose the views that are contrary to and want to damage the Christian gospel and want to actually eradicate the Bible from people's lives and from public life. Ah, but you don't do it by just taking up the clothes of those who actually uh, ridicule the ideas of other people and belittle other people and just can't stand uh, the fact that others are regarded as at least equal to them. You don't do that. You talk with all the vehemence you can, but you use the kind of language that doesn't actually belittle other people because they're different from your point of view or from your way of life. You treat them with the respect that is due to every human being, and whatever differences there may be in their lifestyle or in their attitude. Well, he's saying that's also something you put away from you, evil speakings. And you know, very interestingly, and as we'll go through the letter of Peter, we'll see this again and again, that the uh, main form of persecution against these people that uh, Peter is writing to, these Christians, these scattered believers, the main form of persecution that's being used against them is this, evil Speakings. You go to verse 12 of this chapter. Keep your conduct uh, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they are evil speaking against you, they may actually see your good deeds. Or chapter 4 and uh, verse 4, you have the same idea there, where you find uh, this uh, also um, uh, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, they misrepresent you, they speak evil of you. And however much sometimes we're annoyed, and indeed sometimes indignant, at what's used against the gospel, and the methods and the uh, practices that are sometimes used, we mustn't resort to taking up these ourselves. Keep it clean, keep it Christ-like, Keep it free of evil speaking, of misrepresenting, and even behind people's backs, speaking about them in a way that you wouldn't speak to their face. What you wouldn't say to their face, don't say behind their backs. That's what Peter is getting at. Getting rid of the old clothes. Malice and deceit by way of attitude. And hypocrisies and envies and slanders or evil speakings by way of all kinds of actual practices and actions that come from the attitudes. Peter is saying, you've been born again. Get rid of the old clothes. 
As soon as you find you're putting them back on again, put them off. Get rid of them. They don't fit anymore. They don't honor your Lord. They're part of the old life. And you have a new life. You've been born to holiness. And you've been born to love. So, the first thing is get rid of the old clothes. Then in verses 2 and 3, he's talking about getting regular nourishment. Like newborn infants, very young babies he's talking about, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Now, this is not a reference to these people being new converts. Sometimes the Bible talks about uh, spiritual infancy, immaturity, uh, somebody who's just newly started out in the Christian way, uh, and how that person needs to be fed, and perhaps with spiritual milk, with the easier parts of doctrinal Christian teaching, and then you move on to um, the meaty stuff. Well, that's not the kind of thing that Peter has in mind at all. What he's doing is using imagery. He's using a picture. He's using picture language. He's asking us to think about a baby. A baby that makes its hunger known by something very simple but very telling, by crying to be fed. And that, he says, is what we have to seek to be like, what we should be like. We are born again, therefore we are like little babies in terms, or should be like little babies in terms of the desire for nourishment, for uh, being fed spiritually in order that we grow from now on. And he's saying, um, this is something that should characterize us all along the way. It's not about spiritual immaturity, it's not about uh, just beginning the Christian life. All our life long as Christians, we should be like these infants in the natural sense, crying out so that they be fed. And that's how we should be, however much we've gone on in the Christian life. That hunger, that appetite, is something we've got to seek to maintain and pray to God that he will maintain it for us by his Spirit, by his blessing. Because as soon as you lose your spiritual appetite, you've got a problem. You won't get the nourishment and even the, the gospel that's so freely available to us, even when we come under the gospel like we are tonight, or come to read the Bible for ourselves, we've lost our appetite, then we're not getting the nourishment. We don't have that same approach to the truth of God by which we bring into our possession the spiritual nourishment that we need to grow. So if you find that your appetite for coming to church, your appetite for reading your Bible, your appetite for uh, hearing the word preached. Uh, if you find that appetite beginning to wane, as soon as you begin to, to know and detect that you don't have that hunger you once had, go to God with it. Ask God to restore it. It's a, a vital part of your Christian, uh, uh, your Christian life and your, your um, experience from day to day. And we should pray, of course, every time we come uh, to the Bible, every time we come to uh, hear the Word of God preached, that we, uh, we be prepared for that by seeking that God would maintain with us or even increase that spiritual appetite that would enable us to draw the nourishment we need from the teaching that God has given us in the Gospel. So that's what, that's what the idea, and of course that, itself is such a huge challenge, isn't it? I cannot say, even though I preach the gospel and try to preach the gospel regularly, I can't say that my spiritual appetite is what it should be. 
I can't say that even when I come to study the Word of God that I've got that 100% concentration and appetite to learn for myself as well as for preaching. Neither can you, I'm sure. But what Peter is giving us is the ideal, what it should be like, what we've got to aim at. Like newborn babes, crave, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, what does he mean by the pure spiritual milk? Well, he means really uh, Christian teaching. And it means that you take account of all that helps you to grow, both in terms of the contribution of being with other Christians, of learning from other Christians, but it's mainly about the Word of God itself. And I think that's really what he's got in mind more than anything else, the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. And however that Word is... is um, uh, is brought to us or, or available to us, whether it's in a church setting like this or privately for ourselves or in Bible study or wherever it is. That is the nourishment, the nourishment through the gospel, the nourishment from God's word that we require on a daily basis. And it's interesting the word he uses, the word pure, first of all. If we're saying that it's mainly about the word of God, then he's describing it as pure. In other words, um, again, literally, if you go to the literal meaning of the word, it means undeceitful. It's not a word that will lead you astray. It's not a word that in any way is designed to mislead you. It's the unadulterated word of God, the pure word of God. It's the idea of mixing it with something that's in Peter's mind. In those days, as today, you find, um, for example, they would water down wine in those days and um, dish that out, sometimes milk as well. They would water it down, add water to it so that it would go further. Uh, but he's saying, the word of God, you keep it in its purity, in its unmixed purity. And it's no accident when you look through the New Testament that you find so much emphasis both in Peter and in John, especially in John, on false teaching. Paul, of course, as well in his epistles, deals with false teaching. Why is false teaching so important to them? Why is it so important for them to deal with it? Why is it such a serious thing? Well, because it's a threat to the gospel. And it's a threat to people's growth. And it's a threat to people's salvation, ultimately, if that gospel is mixed if it becomes deceitful, if it misleads, if you add to it or take certain things from it that are essential, then you're actually not keeping it as that undeceitful word. And please be careful with what you hear and what you read. Don't take it that just because I'm a free church minister that everything I say is reliable. Test it. Test it by the word of God. Take it back to the word of God. But there's so much false teaching in the world. There are plenty of places and plenty of products tonight that will not give you the pure gospel. That will deny you certain of the essential or foundational elements of the gospel. That will actually bring you to be confident in yourself rather than in Jesus Christ. That will take the glory of him and give it to human beings. That will emphasize God wanting you to be rich literally and financially above being spiritually saved. 
careful what you watch on TV channels where you find a lot of this stuff. Measure it by the word of God itself. And if you're suspicious of it, check it out. And if you found it to be wrong, then leave it there. Don't go back to it. Because that's what these gospel writers, these apostles, were so concerned with in their day. Like newborn infants, long for the pure milk, for the word itself, for the unmixed, unwatered-down gospel. That means nothing added and nothing taken away. That means a balance of all the truths that it brings to us in the balance in which the word itself sets them out. And so we have that pure spiritual milk. And then the word spiritual. Now that word isn't as easy to actually uh, translate or unfold the meaning of it. It's used once again in the New Testament and it's in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Um, if you turn back there, it's not translated uh, spiritual there. Uh, it's translated by the word reasonable, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, chapter 12 of Romans, just at the very beginning there. Um, well, it is actually spiritual in here in the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of, mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, or in the old version, it's your reasonable service or worship. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now then, let's try and just um, see a little bit of the detail there. Here is uh, the word reasonable, you can say, is a, a translation of this word that Peter and Paul are using. Uh, it's also spiritual as it is here. And when you combine these ideas, I think what you've got is therefore this. The word of God, um, this word literally in Greek is... Uh, actually related to the word word itself. So that um, it has that reasonableness about it. It's something that in itself has a logic to it, a structure to it. But it's also spiritual in the sense that it's God's truth. And the mind that God has given to his people, to people reborn, you've got a new mind. You've got a renewed mind. As Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this world. That's what you've been taken out of. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you have uh, a mind that is an act of reason, if you like. You see, he's saying that your reasonable worship, that's what Paul is saying. In other words, your worship is not unthinking. You don't just come and engage in a ritual just out of habit without applying your mind to what you're doing. Our worship is a worship where we use that mind that God has given us, especially that new mind, that enlightened mind, so that you actually think about what you're doing, think about what God requires, think about the various issues that the gospel sets before us. You have a reasonable mind. You have a, a reasoned approach to it. And what he's saying about the word itself is that it actually is adapted to fit that mind. It's a reasonable word. It's a word that itself has God's logic to it. Even if many people find it illogical. You know that it has God's logic to it, God's structure to it. And if you wanted a saying perhaps to just remember this, it's, um, let's just say, the milk 
matches the mind. The milk of the word matches the mind that God has given us. It's not an unreasonable word. It's full of reason, of logic. The mind that he's given to us is a mind that takes in the word and the reasonableness of the word fits the reason that God has given you to think about it, to think it through, to apply it. Milk matches the mind. He's saying that's how you come to be fed. You must ensure that you get as much of that nourishment as you can. In one of the commentaries that I consulted, um, a commentary on Second on First Peter, uh, he says here, this is Grant Osborne, one of the commentaries, a man called Grant Ob- Osborne, he says this, Every church must provide multiple opportunities for Christians to interact with and learn the deep truths of the faith. I believe that there are two foci of a truly biblical church. The first focus is the centrality of the word of God in both the preaching and teaching ministries. And the second focus is the deep relationships that make the church a family. These are the two foci that he says must uh, actually be found in any church to make it a truly biblical church. The centrality of the word of God in both the preaching and teaching ministries and secondly the deep relationships that make the church a family, a spiritual family. Well Peter is saying that's what you are and because that's what you are like newborn infants long for, crave be hungry for this pure milk this word of God this reasonable milk this logical milk this milk that's adapted to fit your minds to fit with your needs as growing Christians that's what it's for and therefore crave it be hungry for it don't miss any opportunity of actually taking it in and to feed upon it and he finishes by saying if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good or the word gracious could also be used as a translation there instead of the word good the word is uh, capable of both good and gracious if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good it looks to be uh, almost a direct quotation from Psalm 34 oh taste and see that God is good here it's the Lord it's Jesus which means Peter is actually giving him the status of God if he's thinking of Psalm um, 34 where you find it originally God is good that's in passing but what he's saying is if indeed you have tasted now that's not putting it in doubt what he means is since this is the case since you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good this is what you are now about you've already tasted that he's good now set about the work of tasting even more of getting more nourishment from the Lord himself through the gospel in other words tasting is not just putting the tip of your tongue into something and getting a very slight taste some people do that with the gospel some people don't even want to go that far and once you've tasted this pure spiritual milk once you've tasted this gospel in a way that's not just dipping your tongue but has taken a really good mouthful and a good stomachful and wants some more you know that it's different you know there's nothing else like it I remember fondly to this day my late mother's apple pies I can say safely that nobody else made apple pies like my mother 
doesn't matter how many apple pies I tried. Sorry to say this, but Donna knows that this is the case. Not even hers. They're very, very good. But she knows, and she acknowledges, I've never had an apple pie like his mother's. Don't know how it was, but that's how it was. And when you've tasted that one, you say, well, the rest are just nothing like that. That's how it is with the gospel. Seeing you have tasted, seeing you've really got the proper taste and the full flavor of Christ in the gospel, that he is good, that he is gracious. What else is there like that? Who else is like that? Where else are you going to get a flavor like that? So he's really saying to us tonight, if you haven't really tasted that the Lord is good, don't be satisfied with just dipping your tongue into this dish. You've got to really eat it. You've got to taste it. And you know, that's what's wrong with many of these opponents of the gospel. It's not just confined to them. Some people, even under the gospel, don't want to go further than just dipping their tongue into it or just admiring it from a distance. If you were to see, if I was to see, let's say, my mother's apple pie again and a photograph of it, and there it is placed in front of me, and somebody says, you know, there's nothing really like that. You've never tasted anything like that. And I would just look at that photo and say, well, it certainly looks good. It really does look amazing. But I have no idea what it tastes like by just looking at that photo, however polished that photo might be. And you know this. Nobody has the right to say that the Lord is not good if they have not tasted for themselves. If you haven't really tasted of that apple pie, you have no right to say, I don't think it's any good. I don't like it. I don't like the look of it. I don't think it would taste very good, even if the photo is really polished. That's what's wrong with the secularists. That's what's wrong with those people who don't want the gospel, who want the Bible eradicated from our lives, who ridicule the idea that we believe this book. They've never tasted that the Lord is good. And even if they tell you, well, I tried the church, and I just didn't like it. I tried the church, and it didn't work for me. Well, trying the church is not the same as tasting Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And Peter is saying, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, it's logical. It makes sense that you then want more of it. That you then want to come back for more. Indeed, we'll see that beginning of the next uh, verse in verse 4. As you keep coming to him, this living stone, he changes the imagery, but the, he says there the first few verses, first few words of the verse, as you keep coming to him. You have come to him. You've tasted that he is gracious, that he's good. So you keep coming to him. And as you keep coming to him, so you want to feed on this nourishment that is in him that he gives you through the gospel and you want to maintain your hunger your appetite for this richest of all foods this spiritual nourishment that you have through the gospel is that how it is with yourself we all lament the fact that we are not as hungry as we should be that we need to come, come to God and ask that he would restore that if we've lost some of it. But have you done more than just dip your tongue into the gospel? Have you really tasted 
that the Lord is good. Are you satisfied just with an outward attachment, with a formal adherence to the Lord? Are you satisfied with what other people say of him rather than what you can find out for yourself? Well, if that's what you're like tonight, please listen to what Peter is saying. And it's not really ultimately what Peter is saying. The Lord is speaking to you through his word. This is his word. What he's saying to you is this. Taste me. Put me to the test. Don't just look at me from a distance. Taste and see for yourself. Just like those people in John chapter 4, that woman that was converted, the woman of Samaria, she went back to her own town. She invited these people to come and see for themselves. Come, see this man. He told me everything that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And then you read later in the chapter, they came. And they pleaded with him to stay with them, having heard him. So he stayed there for two days. And then they said this to the woman. Now we believe, not just because of your word, because we have heard him for ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's how it must be for you and me. Hear him for yourself and you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, our gracious God, help us to maintain our appetite for your truth. Forgive us, we pray, when we fail so often in that regard. Forgive us for how much of the world seeps into our thoughts and our hearts instead of us coming to this rich spiritual fear that you have given us. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word to us anew today and this evening. We pray that you would continue to nourish us through your own gospel. And we ask that you would bless each one of us to that end and help us never to rest satisfied with anything other than a full tasting that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are a saviour to us too. Bless us, we pray now, as we anticipate fellowship together. Bless the food that has been prepared for us and bless Mr. Heenan as we expect him to come to speak to us. In all of that, Lord, we commit it to you and pray your forgiveness for all our sins. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, our concluding psalm this evening is uh, Psalm 119, this time in the Sing Psalms version. Psalm 119 at verse 129, that's on page 165. Singing to the tune, Old Hundreds. Verses 129 to 136. Your statutes, Lord, are wonderful, so I obey them from the heart, from my heart. Your words, as they unfold, give light and truth to simple minds in part. Psalm 119, page 165, four verses from 129 to God's praise. Your statutes, Lord, are wonderful, so I obey them from my heart. Your words
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.